Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, March 7th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That's episode 188. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Um, definitely worth your time to get over there and take a look. A lot of great listening over there. Um, you will definitely not be disappointed, and it will definitely not be a waste of your time to go over there and dig through and just find wonderful, wonderful podcasts. A lot of great work going on over there. Um, I would continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. That is the that is the uh, link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we commence, can commence establishment of a Christian uh, classical education-based school um, to offer an alternative to parents and grandparents out here. <clears throat> so uh, go ahead and click on the link, take a read. It'll explain it a little better than I just did. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask for you to pray for us. We'd ask for you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask for you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing on in our Bible reading this morning, reading through the Bible in a year. So let's go ahead and open up like we usually do on Tuesday mornings with the third day morning prayer, God creator and controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use, not abuse, its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander. I'm sorry, when we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us excuse me, from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land where none is ever sick and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, and now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 7th. The text is from Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God. Faith is the foot of the soul by which it can march along the road of the commandments. 
Love can make the feet move more swiftly, but faith is the foot which carries the soul. Faith is the oil enabling the wheels of holy devotion and of earnest piety to move well, and without faith the wheels are taken from the chariot, and we drag heavily. With faith I can do all things. Without faith I shall neither have the inclination nor the power to do anything in the service of God. If you would find men who serve God the best, you must look for the men of the most faith. Little faith will save a man, but little faith cannot do great things for God. Poor little faith could not have fought Apollyon. It needed Christian to do that. Poor little faith could not have slain giant despair. It required great heart's arm to knock that monster down. Little faith will go to heaven most certainly, but it often has to hide itself in a nutshell, and it frequently loses all but its jewels. Little faith says, It is a rough road, beset with sharp thorns, and full of dangers. I am afraid to go. But great faith remembers the promise. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And so she boldly ventures. Little faith stands desponding, mingling her tears with the flood, but great, great faith sings, When thou passest through the water, waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow me, uh, overflow thee. And she forged the stream at once. Would you be comfortable and happy? Would you enjoy religion? Would you have the religion of cheerfulness and not that of gloom? Then have faith in God. If you love darkness and are satisfied to dwell in gloom and misery, then be content with little faith. But if you love the sunshine and would sing songs of rejoicing, covet earnestly this best gift, great faith. All right. And now our reading for the day. Uh, we're going to be reading Numbers 8 and 9, uh, part of Mark 13, Psalm 50, and a couple of verses in Proverbs 10. So, Let's get started. Numbers 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lampstand. Aaron therefore did so. He mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand. Hammered work of gold, from its base to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern which Yahweh had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Again Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them for their cleansing. Sprinkle purifying water on them and let them use a razor over their whole body and wash their clothes and they will be clean. Then let them take a bull from the herd with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bull from the herd you shall take for a sin offering. So you shall bring the Levites near before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, and bring the Levites near before Yahweh, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Aaron then shall present the Levites before Yahweh as a wave offering from the sons of Israel, that they may be qualified to perform the service of Yahweh. Now the Levites shall, be, shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, then offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to Yahweh, to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons, so as to present them as a wave offering to Yahweh. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Then after that the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meeting, but you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering. 
for they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every first issue of the womb, the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine. Among the men and among the animals on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel, to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting, and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel, so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel to the Levites, according to all that Yahweh had commanded had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the sons of Israel did to them. The Levites, too, purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them as a wave offering before Yahweh. Aaron also made atonement for them to cleanse them. Then after the Levites went in to perform their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and before his sons, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, This is what applies to the Levites. From twenty-five years old and upward they shall enter to perform their duty in the service of the tent of meeting. But at the age of fifty years they shall retire from their duty in the service and not serve any more. They may, however, minister to their brothers in the tent of meetings, a meeting in order to keep up their responsibility but they themselves shall perform no service. Thus you shall deal with the Levites concerning their responsibilities. Numbers 9. Thus Yahweh spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its judgments. So Moses told the sons of Israel to celebrate the Passover. And they celebrated the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses. So the sons of Israel did. But there were some men who were unclean because of a dead person, so that they could not celebrate Passover on that day. So they came near before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, We are unclean because of a dead person, but why are we restrained from bringing near the offering of Yahweh at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses therefore said to them, Wait, and I will listen to what Yahweh will command concerning you. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person, or is on a distant journey, he may, however, celebrate the Passover to Yahweh. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall celebrate it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey, and yet neglects to celebrate the Passover, that person shall then be cut off from his people. For he did not bring near the offering of Yahweh at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin." If a sojourner sojourns among you and celebrates the Passover to Yahweh, according to the statute of the Passover, and according to its judgment, so he shall do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native of the land. 
Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Now whenever the cloud would go up from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of Yahweh the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of Yahweh they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the charge of Yahweh and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of Yahweh, they remained camped. Then they remained camped. Then according to the command of Yahweh, they set out. It's if sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lit, would lift was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle dwelling above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of Yahweh, they camped, and at the command of Yahweh, they set out. They kept the charge of Yahweh according to the command of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. All right. And now uh, Mark 13, verses 14 through 37. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house, and the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his garment. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter, for those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now, and never will. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible the elect. But as for you, see, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its, give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels, and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this gener generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of the, that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. See to it, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who, leaving his house and giving authority to his slaves, each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay awake. 
Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, Psalm 50, a Psalm of Asaph. The mighty one, God, Yahweh, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not be silent. Fire devours before him, and a storm whirls around him. He calls the heavens above, and the earth to render justice to his people. Gather my holy ones to me, those who have cut a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, as well as its fullness. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and pay your vow to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of distress. I shall rescue you, and you will glorify me. But to the wicked of God, wicked God, I'm sorry, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recount my statutes, and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and you harness your tongue for deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me, and he who orders his way, I shall show the salvation of God. All right, and Proverbs 10, verses 29 and 30. The way of Yahweh is a stronghold to the one with integrity, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. All right. Well, that was our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me as, as we go through these. Um, I hope it was edifying for you. Um, I definitely would encourage you to do your own reading as well. Um, we've got to stay immersed in the word. We got we ha- we need to be totally saturated with the word of God. It is definitely necessary. Um, but again, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God and God willing, I'll see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, the prayer we're going to use from Valley of Vision is called victory. Let's pray. O divine redeemer, great was thy goodness in undertaking my redemption and consenting to be made sin for me and conquering all my foes. Great was thy strength in enduring the extremities of divine wrath and taking away the load of my iniquities. Great was thy love in manifesting thyself alive and showing thy sacred wounds that every fear might vanish and every doubt be removed.
Great was thy mercy in ascending to heaven, and being crowned and enthroned, there to intercede for me, there to succor me in temptation, there to open the eternal book, there to receive me finally to thyself. Great was thy wisdom in devising this means of salvation. Bathe my soul in rich consolations of thy resurrection life. Great was thy grace in commanding me to come hand in hand with thee to the Father, to be knit to him eternally, to discover in him my rest, to find in him my peace, to behold his glory, to honor him who is alone worthy, and giving me the Spirit as teacher, guide, power, that I may live repenting of sin, conquer Satan, find victory in life. When thou art absent, all sorrows are here. When thou art present, all blessings are mine. Amen. All right, well, like I said, I hope you have a wonderful day, and God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the uh, Tuesday, uh, March 7th episode. That's episode 188 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Wayne Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend you do it. It will not be a waste of your time. It will definitely be um, a valuable use of your time to get over there and check out all the podcasts that are over there. Um, you'll definitely find something or many somethings that, that you'll want to listen to. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing on this evening in our reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. Uh, we're going to be continuing today. The section we're going to be reading today, the characteristic, is that a godly man is thoroughly trained in religion. But first, let's go ahead and open up in prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called God, the source of all good. Let's pray. O Lord God, who inhabits, inter- who inhabit- inhabitest eternity, the heavens declare thy glory, the earth thy riches, the universe is thy temple, thy presence fills immensity, yet thou hast of thy pleasure created life and communicated happiness. Thou hast made me what I am, and given me what I have. In thee I live, and move, and have my being. Thy providence has set the bounds of my habitation, and wisely administered all my affairs. I thank thee for thy riches to me in Jesus, for the unclouded revelation of him in thy word, where I behold his person, character, grace, glory, humiliation, sufferings, death, and resurrection. Give me to feel a need for his of his continual saviorhood, and cry with Job, I am vile. With Peter, I perish. With the publican, be merciful to me, a sinner. Subdue in me the love of sin. Let me know the need of renovation as well as of forgiveness, in order to serve and enjoy thee forever. I come to thee in the all-prevailing name of Jesus, with nothing of my own to plead, no works, no worthiness, no promises. I am often straying, often knowingly opposing thy authority, often abusing thy goodness. Much of my guilt arises from my religious privileges, my low estimation of them, my failure to use them to my advantage. But I am not careless of thy favor or regardless of thy glory. Impress me deeply with the sense of thine omnipresence, that thou art about my path, 
my ways, my lying down, my end. Amen. All right. The evening devotion for March 7th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text comes from Psalm 118.8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Doubtless the reader has been tried with the temptation to rely upon the things which are seen instead of resting alone upon the invisible God. Christians often look to man for help and counsel and mar the noble simplicity of their reliance upon their God. Does this evening's portion meet the eye of a child of God anxious about temporals? Then would we reason with him a while? You trust in Jesus and only in Jesus for your salvation. Then why are you troubled? Because of my great care? Is it not written, written, cast thy burden upon the Lord? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make known your wants unto God. Cannot you trust God for temporals? Ah, I wish I could. If you cannot trust God for temporals, how dare you trust him for spirituals? Can you trust him for your soul's redemption and not rely upon him for a few lesser mercies? Is not God enough for thy need, or is his all-sufficiency too narrow for thy wants? Dost thou want another eye besides that of him who sees every secret thing? Is his heart faint? Is his arm weary? If so, seek another God. But if he be infinite, omnipotent, faithful, true, and all-wise, why gaddest thou abroad so much to seek another confidence? Why dost thou rake the earth to find another foundation, when this is strong enough to bear all the weight which thou canst ever build thereon? Christian, mix not only thy wine with water. Do not alloy the gold of faith with the dross of human confidence. Wait thou only upon God, and let thine expectation be from him." Covet not Jonah's gourd, but rest in Jonah's God. Let the soundy foundations of terrestrial trust be the choice of fools. But do thou, like one who foresees the storm, build for thyself an abiding place upon the rock of ages. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to be continuing on in our reading from uh, Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Ple- uh, tre- uh, Sorry, The Godly Man's Picture. Wow, having trouble with my words there. Um, And we will be reading, we are in chapter 4, which deals with the characteristics of the godly man. And again, like I've said before, this is not just for men. This is the godly person, okay? He he, he wrote this to write it explicitly this way. But it's the godly person's picture. And chapter 4 here is those characteristics. And tonight we're on characteristic 22, that the godly man is a man thoroughly trained in religion. Okay, so section 22. A godly man is thoroughly trained in religion. He obeys every command of God. I have found David a man after my own heart, for he will carry out all my will. Acts 13.22. In the Greek, it is all my wills. A godly man labors to walk according to the full breadth and latitude of God's law. Every command has the same stamp of divine authority on it and the one who is godly will obey one command as well as another. Then I will not be ashamed when I regard all your commandments. Psalm 119.6 A godly man goes through the entire body of piety as the sun goes through all the signs of the zodiac. Whoever is to play a ten-stringed instrument must strike every string, or he spoils all the music. The ten commandments may be compared to a ten-stringed instrument. We must obey every commandment, strike every string, or we can make no sweet music in piety. True obedience is filial. 
it is fitting that the child should obey the parent in all just and sober commands. God's laws are like the curtains of the tabernacle, which, which were looped together. They are like a chain of gold where all the links are coupled. A conscientious man will not willingly break one link of this chain. Excuse me for a minute. If one command is violated, the whole chain is broken. Whoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2.10 A voluntary breach of one of God's laws involves a man in the guilt and exposes him to the curse of the whole law. True obedience is entire and uniform. A good heart, like the needle in a compass, points the way in which the lodestone draws it. This is a grand difference between a child of God and a hypocrite. The hypocrite picks and chooses in religion. He will perform some duties which are easier and will gratify sorry, and will gratify his pride or interest, but other duties he takes no account of. Hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Matthew twenty three twenty three. To sweat in some duties of religion and freeze in others is the symptom of an unsettled Christian. Yehu was zealous in destroying the idolatry of Baal, but he left the golden calves of Jeroboam standing. 1 Kings 10.29 This shows that men are not good in truth when they are only good by halves. If your servant were to do only some of the work you set him to do and left the rest undone, how would you like that? The Lord says, walk before me and be perfect. Genesis 17.1. How are our hearts perfect with God when we prevaricate with him? Some things we will do and other things we leave undone. He is good who is good universally. There are ten duties that God calls for, which a godly man will conscientiously perform, and indeed these duties may serve as so many other characteristics and touchstones by which to test our godliness. Number one, a godly man will call his heart to account often. He takes the candle of the word and the candle of the word and searches his innermost being. I commune with my own heart and my spirit and my spirit made a diligent search. Psalm 77:6. A gracious soul searches whether there is any duty omitted or any sin cherished. He examines his evidence for heaven as he will not take his gold on trust. So neither will he take his grace grace. He is a spiritual merchant. He counts up the estate of his soul to see what he is worth. He sets his house in order. Frequent reckonings keep God and conscience friends. A carnal person cannot abide his heart, his heart work. He is ignorant how the affairs of his soul go. He is like a man who is well acquainted with foreign countries, but a stranger in his own country. Number two, a godly man is much in private prayer. He keeps his hours for private devotion. Jacob, when he was left alone, wrestled with God. So too, when a gracious, gracious heart is alone, it wrestles in prayer and will not leave God until it has a blessing. A devout Christian exercises eyes of faith and knees of prayer. Hypocrites who have nothing of religion besides the facade love to be seen. Christ characterized them thus. They love to pray on the corners of the streets that they may be seen. Matthew 6, 5. The hypocrite is devout in the temple. There all will gaze at him, but he is a stranger to secret communion with God. He is a saint in the church, but an atheist in private. 
A good Christian holds a conversation with heaven. Private prayer keeps up the trade of godliness. When private holiness is laid aside, a stab is given to the heart of piety. Number three, a godly man is diligent in his calling. He takes care to provide for his family. The church must not exclude the shop, Mr. Perkins said. Though a man, I'm sorry, must not exclude the shop. Mr. Perkins said, though a man is endued with excellent gifts, hears the word with reverence and receives the sacrament, yet if he does not practice the duties of his calling, all is sheer hypocrisy. Piety never granted a patent for idleness. There are some who walk among you disorderly, not working at all. Those who are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that they work quietly and eat their own bread. Second Thessalonians three eleven and 12. That bread tastes sweetest which is gotten with the most sweat. A godly man would rather fast than eat the bread of idleness. Vain professors talk of living by faith, but do not live in a calling. They are like the lilies of the field. field. They toil not, neither do they spin. Matthew 6.28 An idle person is the devil's tennis ball, which he bandies back and forth with temptation until at last the balls fall out of bounds. Number 4. A godly man sets bounds for himself in lawful things. He is moderate in matters of recreation and diet. He takes only so much as is needed for the supply of nature for the supply of nature and what may better dispose him for God's service. Jerome lived sparingly. His diet was a few dried figs and cold water, and Augustine in his confession says, "Lord, you have taught me to go to my bed as to a medicine if the bride of If the bride of reason checks the appetite. Much more so should the curbing bit of grace, I'm sorry, if the bridle of reason checks the appetite, much more so should the curbing bit of grace. The life of a sinner is brutish, the glutton feeds without fear, Jude 12, and the drunkard drinks without reason. Too much oil chokes the lamp, whereas a small quantity makes it burn more brightly. A godly man holds the golden bridle of temperance and will not allow his table to be a snare. Number five, a godly man is careful about moral righteousness. He is conscientious about equity as well as piety. The scripture has linked both together, that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness. Luke 1, 74 and 75. Holiness, there is the first tablet of the law. Righteousness, there is the second tablet of the the law. Though a man may be morally righteous and not godly, no one can be godly unless he is morally righteous. This moral righteousness is seen in our dealings with men. A good man observes that golden maxim, Whatever you would have men do to you, do also to them. Matthew 7.12 There is a threefold injustice in business matters. Number one, using false weights. The balances of of deceit are in his hands. Hosea 12.7 By making their weights lighter, men make their sin heavier. They make the ephah small. Amos 8.5 the ephah was a measure they used in selling. They made the ephah small. They gave but scant measure. A godly man who takes the Bible in one hand dare not use false weights in the other. Number two, debasing a commodity. They sell the refuse of the wheat. Amos 8 6. They would pick out the best grains of the wheat and sell the worst at the same price as they did the best. Your wine is mixed with water. Isaiah one twenty two. They adulterated their wine, yet made their customers believe it came from the pure grape. Number three, taking a great deal more than the commodity is worth. 
If you sell anything to your neighbor, you shall not oppress one another. Leviticus 25.14 A godly man deals exactly, but not exactingly. He will sell so as to help himself, but not to harm another. His motto is, a conscience void a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts 24.16 The hypocrite separates these two which God has joined together, righteousness and holiness. He pretends to be pure, but he is not just. It brings piety into contempt when men hang out Christ's colors, and yet will use fraudulent circumvention and under a mask of piety neglect morality. A godly man is conscientious of the second tablet of the law as well as the first. Number six, a godly man will forgive those that have wronged him. Revenge is sweet to is sweet to nature. A gracious spirit passes by affronts, forgets injuries, and counts it a greater victory to conquer an enemy by patience than by power. It is truly heroic to over, overcome evil with good. Romans twelve twenty one. Though I would not trust an enemy, yet I would endeavor to love him. I would exclude him from my creed, yet not from my prayer. Matthew 5.44 Question, but does every godly man succeed in forgiving, indeed loving his enemies? Answer, he does so in a gospel sense. That is, one, he subscribed to it, subscribes to it in his judgment as a thing which ought to be done. With my mind I serve the law of God. Romans 7.25 Number two, a godly man mourns that he cannot love his enemies more. A wretched man that I am. Romans 7.24 O oh, this base cankered heart of mine that has received so much mercy and can show so little. I have had talents forgiven me, Matthew eighteen twenty four through 27 and yet I can hardly forgive a pence. Number three, a godly man prays that God will give him a heart to forgive his enemies. Lord, pluck this root of bitterness out of me. Perfume, perfume my soul with love. Make me a dove without gall. A godly man... D. A godly man resolves and strives in the strength of Christ against all rancor and virulence of spirit. This, in a gospel sense, is to love our enemies. A wicked man cannot do this. His malice boils up to revenge. Number seven. A godly man lays to heart the miseries of the church. We wept when we remembered Zion. Psalm 137.1. I have read of certain trees whose leaves, if cut or touched, the other leaves begin to contract and shrink, and for a time hang down their heads. Such a spiritual sympathy exists among Christians. When other parts of God's church suffer, they feel it themselves, as if touched personally. Ambrose reports that when Theodosius was terminally ill, he was more troubled about the church of God than about his own sickness. When Aeneas would have saved Ang Anchises' life, he says, Far be it from that I should desire to live when Troy is buried in its ruins. There is music in two unisons. If you strike one, you will perceive the other stirs, as if it were affected. When the Lord strikes others, a godly heart is deeply affected. My affection shall resound like a harp. Isaiah 16.11 Though things go well with a child of God in his own private life, and he lives in a house of cedar, he still grieves to see things go badly with the public. Queen Esther enjoyed the king's favor and all the delights of the court. Yet when a warrant pretending bloodshed was signed for the death of the Jews, she mourns and fasts, fasts and risks her own life to save theirs. Number 8. A godly man is content with his present condition. 
If provisions get low, his heart is tempered to his condition. Many, says Cato, blame me because I want, and I blame them because they cannot want. A godly man puts a kind interpretation upon providence. When God brews him a bitter cup, he says, This is my diet drink. It is to purge me and do my soul good. Therefore, he is well content. Philippians 4.11 Number 9. A godly man is fruitful in good works. Titus 2.7 The Hebrew word for godly, chasid, signifies merciful, implying that to be godly and charitable are one and the same. A good man feeds the hungry, clothes the naked. He is ever merciful, Psalm 37.26. The more devout sort of the, sort of the Jews to this day distribute the tenth part of their estate to the poor, and they have a proverb among them, Give the tenth and you will grow rich. The hypocrite is all for faith, nothing for works. He is like the laurel which makes a flourish, but bears no fruit. Number 10. A godly man will suffer persecution. He will be married to Christ, though he has no other dower than the cross. He suffers out of choice and with a spirit of gallantry. Hebrews 11.35 Argerius wrote a letter to his friend, headed, From the Pleasant Garden of the Leonine Prison. The blessed martyrs who put on the whole armor of God blunted the edge of persecution by their courage. The juniper tree makes the coolest shadow and the hottest coal. So too persecution makes the coal of love hotter and the shadow of death cooler. Thus a godly man goes round the whole circle of pious duties and obeys God in whatever he commands. Object. But it is impossible for anyone to walk according to the full breadth of God's law and to follow God fully. Answer. There is a twofold obeying of God's law. The first is perfect, when all is done, which is what the law requires. This we cannot arrive at in this life. Secondly, there is an incomplete obedience, which is accepted in Christ. This consists in four things. Number one, an approving of all God's commands. The, the commandment is holy and just and good. I consent to the law that it is good. Romans seven twelve and 16. There is both assent and consent. Number two, a sweet satisfaction in God's commands. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I have loved. Psalm 119.47 Number 3. A cordial desire to walk in all God's commands. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Psalm 119.5 Number 4. A real endeavor to tread in every path of the command. I turned my feet to your testimonies. Psalm 119.59 Zacharias had his failings. He hesitated through unbelief, for which he was struck dumb. Yet it is said that he walked in all the commandments of the Lord blameless, Luke 1, six, because he cordially endeavored to obey God in all things. Evangelical obedience is true in its essence, even though not perfect in its degree, and in what it comes short, Christ puts his merit into the scale, and then there is full weight. All right, well that was our reading for the day. Um, tomorrow um, evening, God willing, We'll deal with the next um, attribute of the godly man, of the godly person, um, and it is a godly man walks with God. So we will deal with that tomorrow evening, God willing. All right, well, again, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this time going through um, Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture has, is, being, is beneficial for you. Um, I've definitely gotten a lot out of it. Um, I hope you have as well. Um, and 
early to mid next week, we will have finished this and we'll be going back to our uh, Bible study in the Gospel of John in John chapter 6. All right, well, let's go ahead. Um, let's see. I hope you have a wonderful evening and God willing, I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out as we usually do on Tuesday nights with the third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand ministered in thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy, in thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us. Thy promises encourage us. Our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet. And with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful night, and I hope to see you in the morning. Have a great night. God bless. Thank you.